Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Petra Dorfsman. Petra is a friend and colleague, and she has educated me greatly about this idea of deuterium and deuterium depletion. I have been watching this um, for a few years now, and I've been impressed by the clinical results that she has shared. And um, we even started getting Dr. Klinghardt on the water, and he started feeling better. So I really wanted to get this information out there and give you all the opportunity to learn more. Um, And if you want to find out more about deuterium and deuterium depletion, um, we talk about it today on the podcast. So please enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Petra. I'm so excited to interview you today. Thank you, Christine. I'm super excited to be here. Well, as many of our audience may or may not know, I know that we've been friends and colleagues for a few years, and I've really um, just admired your determination and your quest for really seeking out. Um, you know, we're both really, I think, inspired to really understand why so many people are so sick out there that we we tend to see in our practice. And I just always admire, um, yeah, your quest for the truth. And so I know that you've been la- you've landed on this. Um, really important topic of deuterium and this idea of deuterium depletion and it's still a rather new topic and a really um, new paradigm for us to be thinking about so I wanted to have you on so we could educate our community about this important topic and uh, for people to learn more about your work so I'm excited to learn more from you today. Thank you I'm so happy to share it. Well great well so um As many people might know already, you're a naturopathic physician, but how did you really start uh, learning about this idea about deuterium and how it impacts our health? And how did you find um, out about deuterium depletion and the role it plays in chronic illness and cancer um, today? So I first heard about deuterium in 2014 when I spent some time with Dr. Cowan in San Francisco. And um, I had been so involved in so many other things, and I sort of let it go. And then um, very early last year, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. And um, that, along with my frustration of not achieving the results that I was looking for in many of my patients, even though they were doing many of the things that I asked them to, um, led me to just dive deeper. And I felt like I I missed something and I um, wanted to go back to deuterium and understand it better. And um, I found a little book online called Defeating Cancer, The Biological Effect of Deuterium Depletion by um, Gabor Chomalier. And um, I dove into that and explored that for my mom. And then I wondered what, um, how we would figure out what deuterium is and what deuterium levels are in our body. And so um, I started Googling like you do, and I happened to find that there was the one lab in the world right in Santa Monica, right around the corner from where my office um, was, and um, I reached out to them, the Center of Deuterium Depletion, and um, have been working with them ever since. And um, they've educated me, they have trained me, and um, I've implemented protocols, and um It's been a really eye-opening experience and one of the most foundational 
um, interventions that I can imagine. Mm-hmm. The synchronicity of all of this, right? You know, you've been yeah. on your path. Um, so many people don't know anything about deuterium and how it applies to their health. So why don't we really start with an overview? What is deuterium and how does it impact our health? So yes, let's start there. H2O is water. It's two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen. And in nature, there is a um, stable isotope called deuterium. An isotope is a very similar molecule as a hydrogen um, atom, except that it um, contains an extra neutron. And this changes the properties of any molecule that um, has a hydrogen replaced by a deuterium atom. The rate at which deuterium is present in all water on our planet has steadily increased over the centuries. Back in the ice time, as humans evolved, um, the level was about 130 parts per million. Today, that is, um, for most water, 150 parts per million, and the ocean is 155 parts per million. And so um, you may think, oh, that's so little, what's the big deal? Well, it's actually many times um, the amount of calcium that we have in our bloodstream. Um, it's 12 times as much as we have magnesium. So um, it's significant and it isn't really on anyone's radar and um, it is very much affecting biochemistry and biophysics and the physiology of all of our cells. So we get uh, that water in our system through um, the water we drink, through the foods we eat, through the air we breathe. Um, And if we don't live a lifestyle that um, allows for us to clear these excess levels, they will build up in our tissues. They will um, sort of mess up the machinery of the mitochondria, cause dysfunction, and um, that leads to all sorts of chronic disease issues that we are faced with today, which probably is 85 to 95% of all disease we see. And that includes obesity, um, cancer, of course, um, autoimmune disease, neurodegeneration, um, diabetes, all of it. Mm -hmm. So deuterium is this naturally occurring um, isotope, as you just mentioned, that we are exposed to in our uh, water and in our food. And something that people might be asking right away, so you said it had been um, 130 uh, parts per million and now it's up to 155 parts per million in the ocean. So why, um, why have we seen an increase in deuterium? Is this kind of part of how our environment naturally evolves or what is happening that we're getting this increased exposure? Um, I think it is through uh, climate change, through the the, um, the water evaporating and becoming denser in the oceans. And so um, it's over, you know, many, many, um, uh, I don't even want to call it decades, thousands of years, literally, that mm. this has changed. And... Um, and I think the other piece to it is that our our lives have changed to such an extent that um, we're not able to clear it. That's the other part of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we are 
we are all built to not, we, I mean, this is something again, that we've all been exposed to for, um, you know, millennia probably. And we have naturally occurring evolutionary mechanisms to deplete the deuterium, but because of modern life, we're getting this increase in exposure and then this decreased ability to excrete um, and process the deuterium. So that is my understanding. Um, and so, um, so let's talk about this. So tell me, um, Pedro, so how do we naturally get rid of deuterium? So we um, get rid of deuterium, particularly when we sleep. And um, when our body uh, goes into ketosis after four hours of, of sleeping, we start clearing it. Um, we clear it by um, breathing it out. Um, we clear it through sunlight. UVA light is important for our skin. We clear it by uh, peeing it out <laughs> and, um, you know, having our kidneys filter um, the water that um, we take in or that we drink or our bloodstream. And so there are many mechanisms that we do it with. The, the reason why we are um, having seen increasing levels in our tissue is because we're um, eating foods that are um, high in deuterium levels. We um, are not sleeping um, in uh, clean environments without Wi-Fi around us that enables us to detoxify. Um, we're exposed to too much light, um, you know, uh, unnatural light, not sunlight. We're shying away from sunlight. We're using sunscreens, you know, on and on. All of these pieces come together and cause us to hold on to these higher levels of deuterium. Another very big part of it is that we're drinking large amounts of water. And um, this completely changes how our body regulates the production of metabolic water. And, um, and this is a little bit more detailed, but this goes all back to mitochondrial function. And um, what we have all learned in medical school is that really the main purpose of mitochondria is to produce uh, ATP. And um, in fact, there are actually three important um, functions. And the first one, and probably the primary one, is the production of metabolic water. And this metabolic water is deuterium depleted. Um, and that bathes all of our cells and our tissues and allows us to transmit energy and information and have optimal functioning in our body. Um, if we drink lots of liquids throughout the day, we um, inhibit or we reduce the um, hormone called antidiuretic hormone or also known as arginine um, vasopressin. And um, if we reduce that, we um, let go of um, very important um, primary filtrate that we create in the um, kidneys. Um, new research, it's not published yet, but it's in the process of being published, shows that we actually um, produce and recycle 7,200 liters of water a day. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> at, <laughs> at the same time, we produce 800 liters of primary filtrate. Um, this primary filter, again, is deuterium depleted. We want to hold on to that, and we want our kidneys to reabsorb that into our bloodstream to, in order to lower tissue levels. Um, 
And if, again, if we drink too much water, we will not do that. We'll just let go of this, this gold, basically, which we really, you know, want to hang on to. And anti-diuretic hormone um, will be suppressed when we drink this water. And this has so many other effects because it also governs your production of this, this water in your tissues. But it also, um, for instance, uh, is important in social bonding. It is involved in inflammation, in aging, in pain uh, perception, um, in all sorts of social behaviors. So it's it's a critical hormone. and. And what I really recently found out was that it also, when you um, inhibit ADH, you inhibit or you reduce um, gonadotrophic releasing hormone. And that, of course, is required to release all your other steroid hormones. And so um, I've been starting to see patients that have had um, long periods of secondary amenorrhea, you know, not having any cycles at all. And then when you ask them, how much water do you drink? It's like, oh, four liters, five liters, you know, it's a huge amount of water. And so there's, I think this is playing a role. I'm, you know, hypothesizing that that actually is, is part of why um, they're shutting down their own hormone production. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned this. I know um, in our conversations, um, one of the things that we see in the chronic illness world is this low antidiuretic hormone. And again, um, yes. it's a hormone that's produced by the pituitary. It helps us to hold onto our water. And, you know, when, um, what I've been taught is that this is what's called part of the biotoxin pathway that Dr. Shoemaker really um, was the pioneer in looking at um, how biotoxins from Lyme and mold especially um, when people have chronic sinus issues and um, they can produce biotoxins in the, uh, the sinuses and how that can affect the pituitary's production of antidiuretic hormones. So I've always tried to understand it in that way. And as an observer, you know, I, I think as a physician, we're observers a lot of the time, really nine out of 10 of my patients, I would say, have low antidiuretic hormone and they're getting up at night to urinate. Um, you know, they're getting up during their visit, you know, a couple times to, you know, go to the bathroom. They're really thirsty, they're, you know, peeing a lot. And we're, um, you know, we're trying to look at it from all this angle, all these different angles. And so this is really um, exciting for me to explore it in this other way. Um, because as you said, um, you know, the goal at the end of the day for our bodies is to have this metabolic water that can actually help us, you know, in all the activities of metabolism, right, and to help us um, bring nutrients in and waste out and all of that. And so, um, so this is flipping the script on, um, you know, my thoughts of antidiuretic hormone and looking at it from a different way. And so I guess the, the one question I would have is, you know, why do you think people are drinking all this water? <laughs> is it because that's the kind of what people have been thought, um, you know, to be healthy or because this um, water that's not low in deuterium uh, makes people more thirsty? Or I, I'd just be curious what your uh, theories about that are. Well, I think um, part of it is economical. We've been, you know, suggested by um, companies that we should drink lots of water and that we need to hydrate. Um, and I think um, we're also not really been taught that thirst is okay, that that's um, an okay sensation to feel and just be with that for maybe five minutes and see if it goes away because that actually... Thirst is a um, biological subjective marker for um, the phasopressin, for the ADH. And 
um, you actually then stimulate a release of it and therefore you will hold on to more water and the, the thirst just may pass. So um, I think that's part of it. And um, water is really just for cooling us down rather than uh, quenching our thirst. We should be able to produce our own water if we have enough of fats coming in. This is another important piece of it um, in terms of the foods that we eat. Um, from 100 grams of fat, we can produce 110 grams of metabolic water. If we consume 100 grams of carbohydrate, we will only produce 55 um, grams of metabolic water. And so that's half. Mm -hmm. So the food choices are also very, very important. And um, perhaps, you know, the type of diet you consume will also determine the amount of thirst you have. So I guess, how do people know um, if they have, um, you know, this is an issue for, you know, and I, I know probably <laughs> your answer, you know, most humans probably because of the conditions you've just shared, you know, we're all struggling with this, but so how, um, you know, if someone's struggling with their health and this is something that they really want to um, dive deeper in, how do we measure our deuterium levels? Yeah, so um, what we do is we um, assess um, your breath and we assess your saliva or your urine, either one. Um, we generally choose saliva. And what that tells us, this gives us an indication. Your breath sample will tell us what's the level in your tissues. And then the um, saliva or urine sample will tell us how well you're able to excrete that. And what we're looking for is a um, margin or difference between the two. So we would ideally your breath level is 10 points um, lower than your excretion level, 10 to 15 or 8 to 15. Um, so let's just say um, we're going to test your levels. Your tissue levels in your breath appear to be 135 and your um, saliva will be 145. That would be ideal, uh, although 145 is high. Ideally, we are much lower, but this the difference between the two is what we're looking for. And so most people that I've tested, that that's Actually, everyone I've tested so far, that's never the case. It's usually only two um, parts per million or four parts per million difference. And, um, you know, so as we have discussed, 130 is sort of the point that we believe if you're below that um, metabolic dysfunction is really not a big issue. You're able to manage it. But if you are above that... Um, and certainly when you're above the 150 parts per million, your tissues are fully saturated and um, metabolic disease is um, absolutely present. Um, and so those numbers, we then can calculate um, the, um, your depletion factor, so how well you're able to do that, and then also your ATP synthesis rate. Um, we know from studies on beef heart that um, what level of deuterium concentration in your tissue correlates with the um, uh, efficiency of the um, ATP nanomotors um, in your mitochondria. 
and um, if that those levels are higher, that gives us an idea of how efficiently you produce ATP. Mm -hmm. And that's how we test it. So then, um, so we're looking for that differential between the um, the breath and the saliva. And then, what is the optimal, I guess, level of deuterium? What do we, um, you know, what levels are we um, aiming for for optimal health? So initially, when we're really trying to deplete you to to um, restore function in certain organs and tissues, we really want those numbers to go below one thirty. And um, you know, however, and that's different for everybody. Um, how well they're able to do it, um, how well they sleep, all all of the other pieces that they implement. So there's many parts to that where um, there's masks that we can use so you rebreathe um, your own um, deuterium depleted breath certainly when you're on deuterium depleted water that becomes even a greater uh, benefit um, at the same time you're also breathing in some of your own carbon dioxide which will then um, stimulate your hemoglobin to re release some oxygen and that oxygen can then either oxygenate your tissues or bind deuterium and you can breathe that out so further depleting you and I, I definitely want to talk a lot about you know some of these strategies to optimize and deplete deuterium but I, I want people to also know about the resources so you can um, patients can just go directly and buy, purchase a test themselves is that correct um, this is all you don't have to work with a physician to actually order the test or how can people test their levels um, and they can go to ddcenters.com and um, they can order a test right there. Um, if they want to um, take part and use some of the modules and the protocols that have been designed for optimal um, depletion, then it's best to schedule a consult with one of the providers, um, researchers and physicians that are part of the Center for Deuterium Depletion. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. I just want to make sure people know know yeah. that. Um, just out of curiosity, Patriot, what are you aiming for personally? I know you've embodied, um, you know, this lifestyle um, as well. What levels are you aiming for for your own health at this point? Um, so, I, I my first attempt was to get below the one thirties, which I did, mm -hmm. um, and I'm hovering somewhere in the low one thirties right now, and um, and I feel great at that. I don't not trying to get any particularly lower than that. I'm I'm healthy and I'm well, but this is very different if you present with cancer, for instance. Then it's very important that we um, once you, we we get your starting levels implement the protocol and then maybe a month later we retest to make sure that we achieve um, the drop down in levels that we're looking for and particularly what's important that we get that difference between your breath and your saliva that you really are excreting it and um, we have all these different ways that we can track that um, with um, where we monitor your sleep um, your metabolic rate, um, on and on. We we also follow certain lab markers, whatever specific is to that particular um, uh, presentation that you show up with, whether that's a thyroid issue or cancer or diabetes, we can then follow um, what happens in your blood work as well. Tell us about, so um, many of our audience have already probably under, um, heard about deuterium depleted water. So you've mentioned 
um, you know, this already. And so, um, how, you know, where do, um, what's naturally occurring? Like what is the deuterium levels in our naturally occurring water? Why do we actually use deuterium depleted water? Kind of how do we use that as a therapeutic strategy? Yeah, so um, most drinking water in um, in America is around 150 parts per million. I know here in LA it's about 149, 148. Um, some spring waters are a little bit lower. Um, there's an Oregon spring water that's about 140. I think um, Davinia is about 130. Um, but the therapeutic water is very different. Um, this water is currently only made in Europe and in Russia, I believe. Um, and we work with the one pharmaceutical grade water at the Center for Deuterium Depletion called um, Preventa, and that comes in different parts per million. Um, it starts at 25 parts, then there's 45, there's 65, there's 85, there's 105. And depending on um, what your condition is and what your goals are, um, what you're aiming for, and what your budget is, we can um, you know, prescribe a certain uh, parts per million for you at a certain amount of water a day. Um, that you can kind of have as a goal. And is this used, is this kind of a lifelong strategy or do you use this kind of more um, in order to get people, uh, more therapeutically in order to get people in that range uh, that we've talked about? Yeah, so, um, of course, great question. I'm sorry, I should have answered that. I, I uh, We use the water really in situations where, I mean, people are using it for wellness as well, but it really um, is best served for cancer treatments where um, we know for sure at that point that the mitochondrial dysfunction is to such a level that for a cancer patient to deplete themselves by just using lifestyle um, uh, interventions is not enough. And the deuterium depleted water bypasses um, important metabolic steps that helps you clear it from your tissues and then maintain lower levels. And um, particularly for cancer patients, this is really important um, to do on an ongoing basis and certainly when they're going to treatments um, to support them and it helps them improve um, all uh, aspects of their other therapies as well. Then there's of course also the wellness um, crowd and the biohackers that are very keen on optimizing already quite well-functioning bodies and um, they uh, use it for a period of time to just drop down and see if they can increase their energy. There are certain sports teams that are using it for performance enhancing properties and um, certain athletes that are using it and they are able to achieve higher um, excellence on what they're doing because of the deuterium depletion. And really just because it, it, um, it, completely restores function in tissues and optimizes efficiency. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned um, cancer a few times, and I know that, um, you know, you are now working closely with the Center for Deuterium Depletion and supporting and treating cancer patients. And so um, why don't you just set the stage a little bit of, I know there's two physicians and researchers that you work closely with, and they've done a lot of 
of research to see the role of deuterium in cancer. And can you just bring that into context a little bit more um, so people have an understanding of that? Yeah, so um, Dr. Lazo Borosh um, is um, from Hungary and has been working in cancer research for over 20 years, has published over 100 um, papers, and is um, started working with Gabor um, Somaye, the um, researcher and scientist who wrote the book that I mentioned earlier. Um, and he himself has been publishing um, papers since the 80s and 90s, I think. And um, he's um, involved in um, actually the prevent of water. Um, so they um, uh, formed a team with Dr. Q. Collins and Dr. Ann Cooper. And they started the Center of Deuterium Depletion. Um, all of them have a long history working with cancer patients and, um, uh, it's first established as a cancer treatment. And, um, in Europe, the, the term depleted water is registered as a pharmaceutical for pets for treatments as well. Dr. Collins has done many, um, projects and research and studies on, treating um, pets with deuterium depleted water. And so then, um, I guess this sounds like a non sequitur, but I, I kind of, I, I want to understand this too. So with going back to this deuterium depleted water, does this naturally occur or is the water actually, when you say pharmaceutical grade, is it manipulated to get the deuterium levels lower than what's found in nature? Yeah, it's absolutely processed. It's it's distilled many, many um, times over to achieve that. So it's a very involved process. And um, that's why the water, the lower the level of the parts per million is, um, the more expensive it gets because it needs to, it just takes more time and, and processing. Mm -hmm. um, thanks for clarifying that. I think that's an important for us to share. Um, and then um, you also mentioned Divinia water um, that was 130 parts per million. And so um, some of my patients actually might know about Divinia water. That is a water that is supposed to have a high exclusion zone water um, account. And so that is interesting that that also is lower in de uh, deuterium. Do you have any insights on that whole interplay between exclusion zone water and deuterium depleted water? You know, I don't know enough about it. I think that's a conversation that is much better have with either Dr. Collins or Dr. Boris because I am, yeah, I'll leave that up to them. To yeah, us. we should get yeah. Dr. Pollock um, to talk to them too. That would be a fun conversation. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll organize that, right? Maybe yes. we can organize yeah. that. Great. Stick out of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know there's so many, uh, there's, you know, the yeah. water conversation, right? So, um, okay. So then, you know, many of, you know, I don't see cancer patients, but I see a lot of, um, you know, chronically ill patients. And so, you know, a lot of our framework has been, okay, why people are sick is because these chronic infections and then this whole environmental toxicity from aluminum to, you know, mercury to glyphosate to, you know, you name it. And so now we have this whole other, you know, it, it, it um, 
kind of for me it's kind of turning this all around where what you're you've educated me to think okay think of deuterium first and then the body can deal with the stress of everything i just mentioned better and so can you just maybe share your insights on that you know that you know that i mean this is a whole new framework right to look at how why and how people are sick and how to get their bodies to function better so if someone's struggling with a chronic illness and has not seen results um you know just how this is all interconnected yeah so i think um it's so foundational because it affects the cell physiology and biochemistry um so intensely that it 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 has uh, it, it increases um, microbial infections. So, for instance, let's talk about the gut for a second. The microbiome. The, we have a microbiome in our intestine that actually um, consumes the deuterium from our foods, and so that's what their function is. They um, are prokaryotes. They um, use the deuterium from the foods that we eat as a growth factor and they just replicate and so um, if you eat a lot of foods very high in carbohydrates and therefore um, deuterium um, you can get yeast overgrowth because yeast loves deuterium and so you just um, encouraging that to um, grow larger and become a problem for you so that's one part of the microbial issue that you may have um, because of your tissues being saturated with deuterium it changes the resonance um, of all of the bonds in between them and it causes um, metabolic crowding in tissues and um, you're not able to detoxify as well and um, there's so many connections to be made you will hold on to metals in a different way so yes I, I think rather than facing specifics starting with these basics um, first and then maybe you know zoom into what is left over where you can still make change happen but um I think that's the focus of what should be the focus. I think medicine needs to become deuterium-based medicine, mitochondrial medicine, and we need to optimize that function. And if we can do that, then all the other pieces will fall into place. The reaction of iron in our mitochondria, where it is um, being converted from an Fe2 plus state to an Fe3 plus state, is a very important reaction. And um, the enzyme that, that facilitates that reaction is called ceruloplasmin. And ceruloplasmin presents copper to this reaction to make it happen. And if we don't have enough or ceruloplasmin, or if we don't have enough copper, or if we um, don't, um, uh, the activity of the ceruloplasmin isn't correct, and we don't really measure that, we can only measure levels, um, the conversion of that iron will not happen. And so we start having free iron um, in our tissues. And of course, that's toxic to our mitochondria and to our body. And so we store the um, the excess free iron somewhere and some people put that in ferritin um, molecules and one ferritin molecule can hold 4,500 
um, atoms of iron. And so these are the, become these little um, bombs of iron floating around. And, you know, we've been <laughs> told that, you know, this is good. You need veritin levels. If it's too low, it's an issue. Well, some people are, are actually suggesting that um, higher levels of ferritin, certainly above 50, 30 or 50, it's a sign that you are having mitochondrial um, dysfunction. And so I'm, I'm still looking at these papers. There's a lot um, to dive into. I just recently um, on, on my trip spent hours looking at um, a whole series of papers I downloaded on ceruloplasmin and all of its activity. And it's really, really interesting. It's a great rabbit hole to go down and, um, and understand it better. And I think this is all related to it as well. Mm-hmm. Please keep going down that rabbit hole because I, um, you know, I, I feel like this is another, um, you know, observation that I've made over the years with the iron dismantling dismetabolism where you know we can have you know low iron we can have um high ceruloplasmin we can have um you name it these um just iron dismetabolisms i think about it and um it's not the solution does not seem to give people iron and they get better and so i um and i know that you know, most alternative docs, you know, um, have thought that way. And then also thinking about some of our, you know, agents that we use, we use a lot of um, the plant Artemisia annua a lot, and there is a iron chelating um, component of that. But I think about Artemisia as a tool for getting iron out of the tissues where it doesn't belong. And so, um, no, I would love for you to go down that rabbit hole Petra for us because um, I, I think there's a lot to <laughs> it's learn been, yeah it's been really really fascinating because once I started looking and and I had been actually testing um, ceruloplasmin and zinc and copper for many of my patients because I I'm also seeing um, individuals with cognitive decline for the Bredesen um, protocol and I had been measuring that but I have been looking at those numbers very differently and um, I was able to just go back and pull up their records and I go look at that and most of them had a very low levels of ceruloplasmin and um, I thought that was fascinating and then they also have dysregulated copper and zinc and it's high copper and low zinc in most cases um, they're not able to actually use the copper they have um, that's dysfunctional and so uh, yeah giving iron is, is is the worst thing to do because they, they have iron they're just storing it in tissues that we're not able to measure so whether that's a spleen or a liver or a brain or a kidney yeah, mm-hmm. it's all pretty interesting. Yeah, and Bob Miller, who does a lot of the methylgenetics uh, nutrition, that's his company, he talks a lot about the iron, um, you know, some of the SNPs that people make, um, you know, could, uh, use the iron in the Fenton reaction and oxidate, you know, it, it creates more oxidative stress in the body. And so, um, you know, I'm sure that's another piece to think about. What copper, if, um, if you're supplementing with copper, do you have a recommendation of what copper you like to use? Yeah, I suggest that they eat liver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't always go over too well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't, if they're unwilling to do that, then I suggest that there is really um, great products from New Zealand or, or other places that have desiccated um, beef liver, and they just take a few capsules, and, mm-hmm. and that's how I suggest. Mm-hmm. That they- Great. That's a great tip. Very, you know, Weston Price, right? Um, had it right. Yeah. So, um, so Pedro, um, 
Let's circle back to, you know, I want to hear maybe if you're open to it, just sharing some, you know, bringing this information, you know, to light with maybe some um, clinical examples or any cases that you've been really excited about seeing um, how this, you know, how this um, unfolds for a patient when you start addressing um, the deuterium and what kind of clinical results have you been seeing lately? Yeah, so I'll give you three different examples. Um, I have um, one cancer patient who um, has ovarian cancer, stage four. Um, it, it reoccurred um, last April, and um, we started her immediately on the water. And um, at Christmas time, um, she had been told that you know, maybe she would have till June, which is tomorrow. Um, and, um, she again went through a whole series of, um, chemotherapy. Um, and this time when she went through chemotherapy, she did not lose her hair. And I know she did other strategies as well as the cold cap, but I like to think that the deuterium depleted water also played a role in that. Um, She's doing really well at the moment. She feels great. She has energy. She's doing lots of things. And um, yeah, tomorrow is June, so we're, we're, I feel good about that. Um, I have another patient who um, had a failing thyroid. She was already at three and a half grains of nature thyroid and felt that she was getting worse and she had no energy and she was gaining weight and feeling bloated and couldn't fit her wedding ring and all sorts of issues, um, lack of energy. And, um, after trying all sorts of different approaches, I, um, asked her to please start a deuterium depleting protocol. And she did. And, um, you know, she went slow. She didn't go all in, but she's doing it. And um, I'm happy to report that uh, six months later, we have her down to, um, half of that dose of nature thyroid, um, one and three quarters, um, her cholesterol um, dropped over a hundred points, wow. including the H, um, including the LDL by eighty-five itself, um, and all sorts of other uh, markers improved, um, inflammatory markers as well. So that was really great. And then I have this one story of. Um, this dad who contacted me, um, who has a 19-year-old uh, autistic daughter who has never spoken a word in her life. She's not verbal. And she um, does go to school for a few hours every day. And she would come home and she would just sleep and lay on the couch and just do nothing. That was her daily routine. And he had wondered if, you know, the term depleted water would make a difference. And so he... Um, purchased it and started her on it. And he called me two weeks later to say that, um, a week into being on the water, she came home from school and just stood at the piano the entire afternoon and played and made music. And that to him, it had never, he had never seen such any intervention make such a drastic difference in such a short time. So, um, that was really great to hear, and he was very excited. So um, those are three examples. That yeah, those are, yeah. yeah, those are incredible. Stage four cancer, you know, autism. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are, yeah, I mean, this is why I'm, you know, still very curious. We've just started 
um, you know, I feel like I've just started to grasp, um, you know, how to apply this clinically. So I'm going to be probably calling you up more <laughs> um, as I go through this. Um, so Petra, do people have side effects when they start lowering their deuterium levels or do um, they feel for the most part better? Um, you know, it's varied to be perfectly honest. Some people say they don't feel it. There are others, um, feel actually some sort of, um, you know, there's a very few of them that have reported that they kind of feel hungover a little bit, like they're detoxifying. Um, but most people feel great on it and they want to stay on it because it feels that good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, how much water should people be drinking a day? Yeah, so um, I think the less you can drink, the better off you are. Um, I think if you try to aim for maybe um, one quart or a quart and a half, I like to say liters because I'm European, but I know <laughs> people don't know what that is. So about a quart, so four cups. Um, we can really let go of the... Um, sort of popular belief out there that we need to drink our body weight in ounces. Um, we don't have to do that at all. Um, there is really no um, biochemical or physiological foundation for that um, recommendation. So, um, but really do what feels good and, and, and don't just drop down if you are, have been drinking four liters um, for, you know, years in, in a row, um, you will feel that if you just all of a sudden drink one quart. So just go gradually and really pay attention to thirst and see how you do with that. Mm -hmm. I know. I I know being in this world, um, I've only been practicing nine years and I know things, you know, come and go and there's all sorts of trends. And, you know, to be honest, I never thought we would question water. <laughs> you know, that one, seemed, know. <laughs> that one seemed like, okay, we got that one you know, down. <laughs> but um, as you have just shared with us over this interview, that this is absolutely something that we need to take a, um, you know, deeper look at. And I think, you know, where the where it every what where it all clicked uh, for me in learning about this um, is that understanding that you know just um, one of the many stresses that we're up against that this is not this is another I kind of think about this as, as another environmental stress right and maybe the biggest environmental stress that we need to look at first and um, you know once we get you know this addressed um, the body can handle all these other things. Um, you know, that we're, we're talking about more elegantly because the, I know that you and I, um, you know, both seem really challenging patients. And for me, I'm always trying to figure out like, how do, how do we make this easier for people? How do we also get them well and get them less reliant on treatment? Um, and it just, um, you know, with my patients that I've seen, um, you know, get better and return to their life over their years, they still have to put a tremendous amount of effort into their health. And so, um, that's why I'm really excited just to embrace, um, embrace this. Yeah. I I'm excited that you're, um, as excited as I am about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have people, you know, go on a deuterium depletion plan before really diving into all the other things that we look at at Sophia and um, everything. I feel like there's, um, that's what I'd like to, um, you know, try and see how that works for our patients. Great. I think that's an excellent idea.
Mm-hmm. So, Petra, I mean, I could ask you questions all day long, um, but I will respect your time. It's Friday night and everything. <laughs> um, how, can, how can people learn more about you and your work and how can they, um, you know, become a patient if this is something that they want to learn more about and explore for their own health? How do they um, how do they find you? Um, so I have a website that you can contact me through at, um, uh, it's drpetrad.com, D-R, my name, P-E-T-R-A, and the letter D.com. Um, I can also be um, reached at Alicia Life Care, which is a practice in Santa Monica. Um, and I'm also working with the Center for Deuterium Depletion, and that's ddcenters.com. Great. Always um, to look, and the Center for the Term Depletion has really great, um, informative um, videos, podcasts, presentations. Um, there's a lot to, <clears throat> to learn and cover there, so um, definitely encourage you to explore that. Great. Well, I appreciate your time, and we'll have all of that information in the show notes. And I'm sure we will have you back to dive even deeper as this becomes more in the consciousness of you know everyone you know, out there and more people are um, exploring this for their health. So thank you so much for joining us today. You're so welcome, Christine. It was my honor and privilege. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Petra Dorsman. If you want to learn more about Petra, her website is drpetrad.com. And again, she has um, educated us on this really important topic about deuterium and deuterium depletion. She also introduced us to um, one of the people who uh, taught her, Dr. Laszlo Boros. And Dr. Klinger is going to be interviewing Dr. Boros on our Body Electric Summit that's going to be airing October 7th for a week. We're really excited to be putting this on and um, I will be sharing more and more about this as we approach. Um, So please let me know if you have any questions or if you have any feedback for the podcast. Uh, You can reach us at info at drchristineshoffner.com. Thank you and have a beautiful day.